Hi, everybody. Thanks for being with us. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. Glad you are along for the ride. Today, it's another edition of What Hurts Today, an homage to everybody who gets out there and works out and plays hard and gets moving and sometimes well, gets in a little trouble when muscles you didn't know you had start making themselves known the old-fashioned way. They hurt. So we humbly ask, what hurts today? And we encourage you to call us and let us know. 410-662-8780, our email, midday at wipr.org. And we are delighted that Dr. Miho Tanaka is back to help sort out what you can do about what hurts and perhaps what you can do moving forward to keep from hurting in the future. Dr. Tanaka is an orthopedic surgeon, the director of the Women's Sports Medicine Program at Massachusetts General Hospital, and an associate professor at the Harvard Medical School. She's also the chief medical officer for the New England Revolution pro soccer team and a physician for the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Ballet, and even a professional Frisbee team, the Boston Glory. Dr. Tanaka joins us on Zoom from Boston. And again, you can join us, too, if you have questions or comments about orthopedic issues. 410-662-8780, our email, midday at wypr.org. Miho, welcome back. It's always great having you on. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for having me. So you are now the medical director for a professional men's soccer team. Uh, the playoffs in the MLS are just uh, coming up this weekend, Columbus yeah. versus L.A. Um, tell us about that. That's a, a fairly new kind of adventure for you. You did baseball. You, you work with the St. Louis Cardinals. When you lived in Baltimore, you work with the Orioles. You're now working with the Red Sox. You've done women's basketball. You're even doing Frisbee. What's it like yeah. doing soccer? <laughs> Um, it's great. Soccer is, uh, it's a lot of fun. Um, even though I hadn't been working at the pro level, I had been working with the U.S. Soccer Federation for some time. Um, and it's a pretty small world, you know, so it's actually fun to come back. Uh, there are some people through the team that I've worked work, worked with in the past through U.S. Soccer. And so it's been a fun reunion. Um, as you can imagine, soccer is very different uh, from some of the other sports that I cover, like uh, the ballet and baseball. Um, but, you know, it's it's a fun it's a great game uh and i'm fortunate to be you know part of this great organization and so it's been uh it's been exciting and a lot of fun is it important for you as a physician to sort of understand the game you know strategy and and uh uh you know the way people approach uh the playing of the game or do you just Absolutely. simply take a look at everybody's legs and say oh these are working or they're not <laughs> Oh, I think that's a really good point. Um, and we always say, you know, that the best physicians who take care of the best players always know everything about the sport, because the more you um, are dependent on the sport for your livelihood, for example, the more, you know, the more there is at stake, especially with these professional players. And this means that, you know, the physician needs to understand uh, what their timelines are, what sort of pressures they're facing, but also from a practical standpoint, you know, what sorts of requirements their jobs have um, in order for them to be able to perform well and what puts them at risk for injury and what they need to be able to do when they come back. So this is, you know, a standard part of what we do as orthopedic surgeons is to really understand and tailor our treatment to our patients. Uh, and for professional athletes, there's just kind of an added layer of complexity.
complexity with this. Soccer seems to me to be one of those games that here in America, at least, more people play than watch. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, it it seems like a lot of people play soccer. Little kids have leagues that start as early as, you know, they're three and four years old flopping around Mm -hmm. on the field. Um, And there are a number of adult leagues. Uh, I have some friends who who are doing this as adults. Um, What what are some of the common injuries that soccer players encounter? Yeah, so I would say the most common injuries that we see just across the board, not just with professional soccer, but at all levels, uh, probably ACLs are one of the most common things that we see from a surgical standpoint. And obviously, as a surgeon, you know, those tend to come to my clinic. Um, Things like patellar tendonitis are often very common. Ankle sprains and quad and hamstring strains tend to be pretty common as well. A lot of lower extremity injuries, you know, especially because it can end up being kind of a contact related sport. And we've talked about this in the past, but uh, for reasons that I've never quite uh, grasped completely, uh, women are more susceptible to ACL injuries than men. Um, Is that still the case? And if so, why? Yeah, that's a great question. So we do know that women are about four to eight times more likely to tear their ACL than their male counterparts. And there are a lot of different factors that go into this, um, including, you know, how they're built and their alignment. Uh, And even, you know, there are some studies pointing to hormonal differences. But the number one modifiable risk factor has to do with what we call neuromuscular control. So it's the way we control our landings, um, especially when you're cutting or landing from a jump or something like that. And women by nature tend to have uh, more sort of risky landing patterns, which involve um, being quadriceps dominant. So using you know more of your quad than your hamstring, um, having less trunk control. So maybe having a little, uh, bit of a weaker core so that you can be off balance when you're landing Um, and really kind of letting your knee fall into what we call a valgus, which is essentially a knock kneed position. But all of those types of movement patterns have been shown in multiple studies to be a risk factor for sustaining an ACL injury because most people tear their ACLs as a non-contact mechanism, meaning that it's not, you know, one of those collision type things, but a player goes to cut or pivot and the knee gives way. And we know that women are more likely to have these sorts of deficits. Um, and so that's what puts them at risk. Dr. Miho Tanaka is with us for the hour. We're going to talk about orthopedic injuries and issues. If you have a question or a comment, our number here at Midday, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wipr.org. We have a caller on the line, Robin, who's uh, calling from Towson. Welcome to Midday with Dr. Tanaka. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be on the call. Um, So I am 61, and I have shoulder, apparently, uh, according to my orthopedist, um, arthritis in my shoulders. And first of all, my comment is, what a surprise. I'm otherwise very, very healthy, but suddenly I'm in sort of chronic low-level pain. So what I'm hoping to do, rather than any kind of surgery, uh, they've told me about shoulder replacements or capping or something like that, is to do exercise, which I have become sorely uh, uh, lazy about. So I'm just interested in general about this phenomenon of how do you manage pain and is exercise a reasonable way to work through it? All right. Thanks for that call, Robin. So, Dr. Tanaka, what do you think? I mean, I'm sure Robin's uh, dilemma is shared by a number of folks. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is a great question. So, you know, arthritis is essentially a wear and tear of the joints that happens along with the aging process. Of course, this can be hastened by things such as injury or having had, you know, um, other excessive causes for wear and tear. But it is something that tends to develop in most people um, as they approach, you know, you're not old, but as they get later on in life. Um, what it really means for you in terms of your pain is that arthritis really lowers your threshold for having some inflammation or having symptoms. So your shoulder joint itself um, will tend to get a little swollen or painful or inflamed uh, when it sees increased loads. And this is why exercise, even though it's a little bit counterintuitive, is so helpful because when you strengthen the muscles, those muscles can then offload the joint. In terms of what you can and can't do, it's um, this is why physical therapy can be very helpful in the management of arthritis. Of course, the therapy doesn't change your arthritis like surgery can, but it changes the way your muscles are balanced and they can help you improve your strength and flexibility. And those things in turn can let put less pressure on your joints, which can help with your pain management. Well, Robin, I hope that's helpful. And, um, you know, Dr. Tanaka, it's always really interesting how so many things are uh, interconnected. I mean, you mentioned with the ACLs, uh, people's core, uh, women yes. in particular, if the core is not quite uh, strong enough, you can fall uh, and, and land uh, in a way that can, can you know, lead to a, a torn ACL. Um, so, you know, don't people don't think about, you know, your torso and your knee as being all that connected, but they are. Exactly. Um, it, the other thing that you do uh, with the MS, the MLS team, the Boston Revolution, New England Revolution, is that you're the medical director. So you work like, for example, with the Red Sox, you worked with the uh, Orioles when you were here, um, but you weren't the, the chief team physician for that. You were one of a team. Um, yes. But you are you were the head honcho with the with the <laughs> soccer team and and the the medical staff for a professional sports team uh, in professional soccer. And I'm sure it's the same in many others um, is really uh, elaborate, isn't it? I mean, you're you're supervising a number of people and you're even supervising players in other leagues. Tell us how that how the setup of it works. Yeah, well, I think every league has their own system. And of course, you know, it is still part of being, you know, part of this amazing support system. And I'm really grateful to, you know, especially the athletic trainers and the other physicians who help support this system. Um, but especially, especially, you know, my role right now as the chief medical officer just means um, overseeing kind of what happens from the medical side. Uh, but there are physicians and subspecialized physicians who take care of concussions, for example, or specific types of injuries, um, you know, that may fall outside of orthopedics um, or cardiologists who kind of manage all of those things. But it's really looking at, you know, the overall sort of umbrella, uh, sometimes the direction of this, you know, going forward as a club. Um, and then also there's a lot to do with just compliance with the league. Um, and so each league has a different set of rules um, and sort of things that different clubs need to abide by. And so making sure that the 
medical aspect of the things that happen in each club, um, you know, fall under uh, the rules that are provided by the MLS is kind of part of my job. In terms of overseeing other teams, it's basically, you know, just like any, any other organization, there's the pro team, and then there's kind of the second team, which is like the minor league team, and then there's an academy team. And they, those are all under the New England Revolution or whatever MLS team um, that exists. And so it just means that um, I do kind of provide medical care for them uh, as well, along with, you know, my colleagues who uh, we all work together. And sometimes there's movement back and forth between those teams as well. And they do play a fair number of games. I mean, it's not like baseball, which plays, what, about three or four million <laughs> games a year. But <laughs> right. uh, but soccer, I mean, they the, the two teams, Columbus and L.A., that are in the finals on Saturday yeah. uh, have each played 34 games. I mean, that's not, that's not an insignificant number of uh, games considering how the athleticism it takes to play soccer. Right. That that's true. I think, you know, there is the grind of the season. Um, and part of it is just making sure that, you know, you perform well and don't get injured in a game. But there's also the consideration of just, you know, not breaking down and not wearing down over the course of the season. And I think that is, you know, something that I think recreational athletes don't necessarily have to think about or worry about. Uh, but on the professional level, it's it's a real concern. 410-662-8780. If you have a question for Dr. Miho Tanaka, an orthopedic surgeon on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School in Boston. Our email is midday at wipr.org. And Miho uh, Jeannie uh, says, or Janine perhaps, uh, says, I'm interested in the doctor's opinions about alternative solutions for ongoing issues such as chiropractor, acupuncture, cupping, needling, and herbs. Um, this is, you know, these are are uh, disciplines that are, I think, more and more making their way into mainstream Western medicine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that is, uh, that covers a broad range of topics, uh, but I think, you know, there's definitely a role for alternative medicine. Um, from an orthopedic standpoint, I think the most important thing is to get a diagnosis. And so, you know, whether you end up having surgery or any sort of what we would call and consider westernized medicine, medical treatments, I think you still need to get a, a diagnosis and understand what's happening to, you know, at least get a sense of what needs to be done. Um, oftentimes, you know, as we talked about with the first caller, strengthening and physical therapy um, are really key to treating many muscular skeletal conditions uh, because the muscles are what support the joints um, which allow us to function. The treatments that you mentioned in terms of chiropractics and cupping um, and uh, acupuncture, these are all things that we consider modalities which can help us stay more comfortable or me be more comfortable during those types of activities. Um, and so I think that they play a great role once you have a diagnosis and if you are trying to get stronger or increase your tolerance to activities to use those other treatments um, to keep you comfortable and to make you less sore as you're going through them. But they don't always necessarily substitute for a strengthening program. Dr. Miho Tanaka is an orthopedic surgeon who directs the Women's Sports Medicine Program at Mass General Hospital up in Boston. She's also on the faculty of the Harvard Medical School. She's a physician with several professional sports teams in Boston and as well 
She takes care of the dancers at the Boston Ballet. So we're asking the tongue-in-cheek question, what hurts today? And we're encouraging you to let us know. You can join us if you have a question for Dr. Tanaka, 410-662-8780. You can email us midday at wipr.org. Quick break. We'll be right back. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WYPR, where you're listening to Midday. And welcome back. It's Midday. I'm Tom Hall. By the way, coming up on the show tomorrow, it's Midday with the Mayor, with Michael O'Connor, who's the Mayor of Frederick. Look forward to speaking with Mayor O'Connor. And plus, Dan Rodericks of the Baltimore Sun and an erstwhile host of this very program talks about two plays that he's written based on his more than four decades of reporting and opining about Baltimore. So Mayor O'Connor and Dan Rodericks will join me tomorrow here on Midday. And if you just joined us today... My guest is the acclaimed orthopedic surgeon, Dr. Miho Tanaka. She's the director of the Women's Sports Medicine Program at Mass General Hospital and an associate professor at the Harvard Medical School. She's also the chief medical officer for the New England Revolution. It's a pro soccer team and the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Glory, and the Boston Ballet. She joins us on Zoom, and you are welcome to join us as well, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at WIPR.org. It's a segment we laughingly call What Hurts Today? Uh, the intimation being that, you know, whatever hurts today may hurt. Uh, there may be something else that hurts tomorrow, but we're not so worried about tomorrow. We're, we're worried about today. Whatever you have on your mind when it comes to orthopedics, if you're a runner or a golfer or you play basketball or you go bowling all the time, whatever you do to keep yourself moving. Uh, give us a call if you have a question for Dr. Tanaka. Let's go to Brenda, who's on the line in Columbia. Welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Hi. Um, the hand doctor told me I had on my left wrist, I had obliteration of the joint space. And I thought it happened because I took a tumble down a hill and caught myself on my left hand. But he said that didn't all happen just then. And he said, there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I said, can I get a steroid shot? He goes, that's not going to help. You know, and so I take a whole lot of Motrin. And, I mean, I do have arthritis, just regular old aging, you know. Is there anything that can be done about it that you know of? Well, I'm sorry to I'm sorry to hear about your fall. Um, you know, there are different types of joint spaces in the hand. Uh, and uh, as you described it, obliteration of the joint space can be a form of arthritis uh, that you have that becomes more symptomatic, you know, after you take a fall. Um, depending on where it is in the hand, sometimes injections are an option. Um, so you know, it would be very specific, I think, to to your type of injury. And um, I would say that, um, you know, you could consider uh, seeing perhaps a hand specialist um, to to discuss potential treatment options as well. All right. Well, good luck, Brenda. And uh, thanks for calling. So, Miho, I have to ask you a question about baseball and elbows. Um, And I do this meekly because, uh, you know, the Boston Red Sox, uh, with whom you are affiliated, 
did not have the greatest of seasons this last season. Um, but Baltimore Orioles, it turns out, did have a really good season. They won their division. But yes. we lost our star uh, closer, Felix Bautista, who will undergo, who has, I think, undergone elbow surgery. Uh, and perhaps the most famous player in the major league, Shohei Otani, also had elbow surgery. I was yeah. interested to read that Otani is uh, expected to be able to hit in 2024, uh, and but he can he will actually resume pitching in 2025. Um, so even with this surgery, he'll be able to do some stuff. He'll be able to play the outfield and and throw from the outfield, but not throw from the pitcher's mound. I mean, we we've talked about this before as well. Uh, so many major league pitchers have undergone what's called Tommy John surgery. Uh, yeah. At one point, there was an estimate it was about a third of the league had had, had surgery one way or the other. Um, what what's the 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 current thinking about that surgery? Is it as as good as everybody says? And what can we expect for Felix Bautista? Well, you know, I can't comment on that specific <laughs> case, of course. Um, but, uh, you know, Tommy John surgery has become more and more and more common. And part of the reason for this is that we're just seeing more pitchers with this problem. Uh, it appears to be from the youth studies that part of the reason for this is that there are more uh, youth athletes who are starting to specialize in a single sport. Um, and so while we used to have, you know, the three sport um, type of athletes who would then kind of specialize essentially once they, you know, were playing at higher levels, now we're seeing kids in Little League who are playing year rounds. You know, they're playing for their teams, their school teams, and then playing for their club teams. And we know that the younger the age an athlete is that they start sub-specializing like this into a single sport, you know, the more pitches they're throwing. And they're the ones who end up having these types of injuries because there are just, you know, more pitches that are going through that elbow. Um, so e even though the surgery itself um, appears to be very reliable and and, you know, the rate of return after, you know, this type of surgery uh, has been good in the right hands. I think there's also been a tremendous effort on the education side and on the prevention side uh, to make sure that we're not seeing, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten year olds who are just pitching year round. And there's been a lot of efforts with pitch counts and also with just general education regarding, you know, diversifying the sports that you're playing to try to avoid this problem later on. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's a dilemma, I guess, for, for some parents. Um, but clearly, it's better uh, in terms of, you know, physical development to play more than one sport and to do other things uh, rather than just the same thing because the repetitive injuries, you know, obviously are going to increase if that's all you're doing. But, boy, I mean, I'm sure that there are parents who coaches are saying, oh, this kid's really talented. He could make it, you know, she could uh, get a scholarship to go to college. Um, and they start thinking in those terms even when they're really little. Um, right. So it's a it's a tough it's a tough call. Yeah, that's exactly right. You know, but I think that's where this sort of collaboration between um, the sports medicine side and then with the leagues themselves to make sure that everybody is on the same uh, page to really protect the players so that they're not getting pulled in multiple directions is really important. And we've really seen the successes of this type of collaboration in multiple areas, including, um, like I said, the pitch counts, but also things like concussions, which weren't really, you know, taken that seriously 10 or 15 years ago. 
And so I think, um, you know, the more we can educate um, the coaches uh, and the parents, um, in addition to, um, you know, raising awareness about these types of injuries, but the prevention as well, I think the more we can really be effective, you know, and um, helping limit these types of injuries that we see. Yeah, and of course, you're working in professional soccer, but with amateur soccer and young players, uh, concussions are a big uh, concern yeah. for, right. uh, you know, kids, young kids who are heading the ball. Um, it, it's a real issue, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right. And then, you know, I think even if you were to say, uh, well, concussions are one thing. And, you know, of course, I as an orthopedic surgeon don't directly manage concussions, but as a sideline physician, for example, when I'm covering a game, you know, we do see some of these. But more and more, we're starting to understand the relationship between concussions and even orthopedic injuries. And there's actually several studies now that have shown that after you sustain a concussion, if you go back into play, your chances of having a lower extremity injury become much higher than if you had never had the concussion. So everything kind of comes around full circle and ties in together and so it's really about promoting the overall health of the athlete in these cases yeah I mean, it's amazing these connections it's just uh right. it's something you gotta you gotta do a holistic approach here 410-662-8780 if you have a question for dr miho tanaka orthopedic surgeon from boston our email midday at wypr.org so miho we have an email from a listener barbara who says my piriformis hurts every day I'm 59 years old, female. I do some sort of cardio every day and circuit training twice a week. I can hike for hours with no discomfort, but driving for 20 minutes in the car, I'm dying. What can I do? It's been like this for a couple of years. Wow. Well, that's a long time to have this problem. So, you know, the piriformis is a muscle that's kind of in the buttock area, um, and it can help kind of with hip motion, especially sort of turning your foot outwards. Um, and this area can get tight, especially in runners and in people who are active. And in extreme cases, it can even kind of feel like it's pinching, you know, on a nerve. Um, for this type of tightness, um, there are a couple things that have to happen, you know, together, I guess, in concert. So one is a good stretching program um, that often a physical therapist will be able to help you with. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, it's a little counterintuitive, but oftentimes weakness can contribute to tightness because when the muscle is weak, normal activities can feel like overuse. And then that tightness will um, then set in. So in a door, in a in addition to a stretching program, a good strengthening program can be helpful. And typically your physical ther therapist or personal trainer can really help with that. When it comes to stretching, uh, we talk, I think I ask you this every time you're on. Um, it's because I guess I'm a slow learner and I can't, I, <laughs> I can't remember what you say or something. But, <laughs> but here we're going into the winter months. And I wonder yes. in terms of stretching, because the, the, the age old debate, do you stretch before you go running or before <laughs> you play golf or before you play tennis, even if you're playing indoors or something, but, yeah. you know, or you do you do it afterwards? Um, and right. I just wonder if the fact that if, for example, you're running and you're going to be outside, yeah. uh, the fact that it's cold uh, influences that decision one way or the other. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, the the thought behind 
stretching after you have warmed up a little bit is that you have increased blood flow to the muscles and the stretching then can become a little bit more effective. Um, and so if you take that line of thinking uh, and apply it to say cold weather, I think that's somewhere where you would really try to apply that um, so that you are stretching when you know your muscles are really uh, accommodating to that. Um, but I do think that there is value to both, but especially in cold weather, it's probably worth doing a little bit of a warm up first uh, before incorporating the stretches. Dr. Miho Tanaka is our guest, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wipr.org. Uh, we have Michelle asking, I had a microdiscectomy a few years ago due to a herniated disc, and I want to be- get back to going to the batting cages and casually playing, but I'm afraid the twisting motion could re-injure my spine. I'm not sure what to do to make sure that I can do it safely. So a microdiscectomy. Yes. So a microdiscectomy, you know, is a surgical treatment that is minimally invasive for disc herniations. And oftentimes people can have disc herniations that end up, you know, pinching a nerve, uh, causing pain down the leg or sometimes back pain. Um, I would say that for anyone who's had surgery, who's thinking about getting back into these sorts of higher level activities, the first thing you want to do is to check with your surgeon and make sure that that sort of motion or activity is safe and is okay and that they don't recommend restricting restricting that. And if they give you the okay, then the second part is really getting prepared to get back into that sort of activity, both from a strength and performance perspective, but also mentally feeling comfortable and kind of being able to get back into that motion. Um, And so I know I've mentioned physical therapy a few times, but, you know, they really are our partners in um, getting our patients back to health. And if you state your goals with your physical therapist, that this is what your goal is to be able to get back to batting, you know, they're going to give you a program that helps you strengthen, um, you know, your back and your core uh, and your legs as well to really kind of prepare you for those motions and give you a good foundation of strength that you can build on um, so that you can also feel comfortable and confident getting back into the batting cage. Yeah, strength matters. It really does, doesn't it? Uh, We have a caller, Ken, who's on the line from Lutherville. Welcome to What Hurts Today with Dr. Tanaka. Uh, I've had a combination of orthopedic and neurology or some neurological problems. And lately I was diagnosed with uh, a thing called uh, spasticity, which, uh, which is... My symptoms are in the morning, my lower back is very, very stiff and my thighs are stiff. And I do do exercises and I, I saw a combination physical therapist and medical doctor. And, and he's, he recommended that I keep doing these exercises. But also they said there's some medicine called, I'm going to get these pronunciation wrong, but Balcofen that has had some uh, uh, helping with people with this type of uh, nerve problems. Are you familiar with that medicine? Yeah, I think you're saying, I think it's baclofen. Yep. There you go. So what do you think, Dr. Tanaka, spasticity? Ah, uh, uh, yes. So spasticity, you know, is um, a 
a problem related to muscle tightness, um, but often in neurological cases, you know, that can be not just tightness from exercise, but due to some a sort of systemic uh, problem um, that's not necessarily related to, you know, the structure of the muscle or what's happening, you know, at the joint level. Um, I think the, you know, I wouldn't really necessarily be able to comment on the medication, but certainly I have heard of uh, this being associated uh, in treatments of spasticity. The exercise part makes a lot of sense because you want to make sure that you're able to maintain your tolerance to activities and really maintain your strength to minimize those episodes of muscle tightening. And I want to ask you, it's interesting to me because Ken was our first male caller. We have another guy on the line, George, and we'll get to him in a second. But all of our other inquiries so far, I'm delighted to say, have been from women. We heard from Janine and or Jeannie and Michelle and Barbara and Brenda. Um, you are a pioneer uh, to a certain extent as one of the few women in orthopedic surgery. You travel the world, literally. You just got back from Japan a few weeks ago uh, giving uh, talks and teaching uh, techniques uh, to other women uh, orthopedic surgeons as well as men. Um, where do things stand? I mean, you and I have been uh, talking here on the radio for seven or eight years now. Uh, where do things stand in terms of the number of women who are uh, pursuing orthopedics as a medical specialty? Yeah, well, you know, I think the future is bright, Tom. You know, when I started, I think we were somewhere around 4% female in the entire field of orthopedic surgery. I think now we have made some gains so that we're about 6% uh, in the field. But if you look at the trainees, the numbers are really increasing. And so we, I think we see at least 10% uh, in the training programs. Uh, and I think, um, you know, those numbers continue to rise. Um, the field especially has made a concerted effort to increase increase uh, diversity within um, the field. And there have been a lot of programs that support women, but also help with the education of younger women who might not necessarily have exposure to orthopedics. As you may know, the field is one of the most competitive in medical school. And so you have to know early on that this is what you want to do so that you can do the research and get the test scores and things like that, that make you competitive for matching in terms of this type of subspecialty. And I think the more we're able to educate people early on and get them exposed to this, uh, the more they have a better chance of matching into uh, um, to the specialty that, you know, as they want. Because as I understand it, um, at least half, perhaps more than half of the current enrollees in medical school are women, right? I mean, they're correct. Yeah. yeah. So in terms of the general population, uh, it's pretty even. But in terms of uh, this subspecialty, not so much. Of course, there's a shortage of doctors in general. I heard one uh, estimate from the CDC say we're, we're like 120,000 doctors down uh, yeah. from where we need to be. Uh, yeah. And that that problem is exacerbated even more in rural areas, et cetera. Uh, and and the, the shortage of nurses uh, is right. even worse. <laughs> um, right. So, you know, yeah. medicine in America is uh, is at a real crossroads, it seems. And, um, you know, I'm sure it, it will have a big effect uh, on your specialty and, and orthopedics and, and training. 
Yeah, I think it's a constantly evolving area. Um, and especially I think with orthopedics at one point, there was kind of a sense that maybe women, you know, didn't want to go into it because it was perceived as uh, being, you know, a, a men's club or, you know, really requiring uh, a lot of strength in order to be able to perform procedures like hip replacements, where we use, you know, these big power tools and mallets and things like that. Uh, but what I would say is that, you know, a lot of things in surgery, even with orthopedics is technique based. Um, um, and um, and overall, I think the field has really adapted, you know, so that um, um, being a woman in the field is really, I don't think there are really as many barriers uh, associated with this. And uh, and I recommend it to anyone. It's, I think it's a, it's a wonderful it's a wonderful type of field to work in. It's What Hurts Today. My guest is Dr. Miho Tanaka. She's an orthopedic surgeon and director of the Women's Sports Medicine Program at Massachusetts General Hospital. She's also an associate professor at the Harvard Medical School and the chief medical officer for the New England Revolution pro soccer team. Dr. Tanaka is a team physician with the Boston Red Sox and the Boston Glory, which is a professional Frisbee team. She also works with dancers at the Boston Ballet. And Miho, just reading your bio makes me exhausted. I need a nap after this. I mean, you are, you are one busy person. And if you have a question for Dr. Tanaka about an injury or a persistent problem you're having with something that hurts, give us a call, 410-662-8780. Our email is midday at wipr.org. We're going to get to George and Loretta when we come back, and we're going to hear from Jane as well. I'm Tom Hall. Stay with us. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station, 88.1 WIPR. And welcome back. It's midday. I'm Tom Hall. If you just joined us, my guest is Dr. Miho Tanaka, an orthopedic surgeon and great friend of our show. She's answering your questions about any orthopedic issues you might have. We lovingly title these shows with Dr. Tanaka, What Hurts Today? And you are welcome to answer that very question, 410-662-8780, our email midday at wipr.org. We will try to get to as many calls and emails as we can before the top of the hour. Let's go to George in Baltimore. Welcome to the show. Thanks for calling. Yes, uh, thank you. Fascinating program. I appreciate it. Uh, I'm a person who had a torn meniscus years ago running, had a scope that got better, then it tore again. I've been sort of hobbling along. So my question for Dr. Tanaka is, um, what's the future? Where are we with things like uh, possible stem cell regeneration or meniscal? I've heard recently of replacements in knee joints. Any new technologies there that show any promise? Yeah, uh, great question. I think this is always, you know, the question that we've been trying to answer for a long time. In terms of stem cells, we're making slow progress. Um, you know, there are some indications where this looks like um, it is promising in terms of its outcomes. So far, though, not a lot of this is covered by insurance. Um, and I think its application to regrowing the meniscus, for example, is really not quite there. It does seem like it helps with symptoms, but, but not necessarily necessarily, you know, making the meniscus healthier. Unfortunately, meniscus, you know, tearing is a degenerative process. So it's a wear and tear process, you know, through years and years of, you know, using your knees. 
um, for meniscus transplants, those are really reserved for cases where the rest of the knee is healthy, but the meniscus has been damaged uh, in a young person. And as we get, you know, past the age of 30 and in our 40s and so on, um, you know, the knee in general is wearing down. So a transplant in those cases are not always effective because the overall environment is not very conducive to supporting that new meniscus. I would say the future, um, there are a couple newer implants that are coming uh, out that are basically cushions uh, that are inside the knee. Uh, we have yet to see the success rates of those, but I would say that is something that um, has been, you know, talked about recently. Um, and then, of course, you know, moving on, there are things like osteotomies where we correct the alignment of the bone and shift the weight away from the part of the meniscus uh, and joint that's been worn down. And ultimately, of course, there are the joint replacements uh, that can help with this problem as well. Yeah, well, thanks for that question, George. And uh, as it turns out, the Center for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine lists torn meniscus as the number one uh, most common orthopedic injury. So this is something I'm sure a lot of people are dealing with. Um, we do have, uh, Miho, a pickleball question. Uh, have, yeah, my, my first question is, have you ever played pick pickleball? I have not. Yeah. I have not either. I'm afraid to play pickleball. <laughs> Me because, too. Because <laughs> if I play it, I think I'll start eating dinner at 4.30 and yelling at kids <laughs> to get off my lawn. And I don't even have a lawn. You know, so it just it worries me that it's it's a slippery slope into Lord knows what. But it's of course I'm joking because it's not just for older people. Man, there's plenty of younger people playing pickleball. But Jane says, uh, can you talk about pickleball injuries and improving response and reflex time uh, exercises that we can do as a senior citizen? Yeah, I'm really glad to hear that question because, you know, that is probably the reason why we tend to see injuries from pickleball. Uh, we take people who are relatively active on their feet a lot, but then that sort of sudden movements and the reaction and the cutting and pivoting, maybe not to the point of soccer or football, but still those sudden starts and stops are what can be really stressful on the joint. And if, you're, if your muscles aren't really adapted to that level of activity, then your ability to cushion those types of movements, cushion your joints, um, it becomes limited and that's where people tend to have injuries. Um, so in addition to a strengthening and stretching program, um, there are certain what we call proprioceptive exercises. So these are balance related exercises that help with your reaction and help you adapt to an unstable surface. And from there, uh, often we will progress people to plyometrics, which is, you know, some light hopping and jumping as well. Um, there are physical therapists and athletic trainers who can kind of take you through that entire regimen, uh, who can help prepare you for some of those mo movements. But it is very, very important uh, to prepare for those types of activities. Well, thank you for that email, Jane. I appreciate it. Let's go back to the phones to Loretta, who's on the line from Baltimore. Welcome to Midday with Dr. Tanaka. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Tanaka. Um, I'm a senior citizen, um, fitness and dance instructor, um, and I've been, I have osteoporosis, runs in the family. All my doctors say, don't lift anything heavy. All the personal trainers I talk to say just the opposite. I should be lifting as heavy as possible, progressively heavier, and um, I don't want to hurt myself, so I have no pain. And um, so I, I was just wondering what your perspective is on that. Yeah, I can see how that would be very confusing. So, you know, osteoporosis is uh, losing kind of the uh, – 
the the density of the bones essentially and so that can in extreme cases weaken the bones which is why you're probably told um, to minimize lifting heavy things because you don't want to have anything uh, crack or get injured under the weight of um, under that weight um, however we also know that weight-bearing exercise is one of the primary things that can help uh, maintain and build bone which is why you're recommended to do those exercises so I think it's not a black and white thing it's you know along a spectrum and we know where it's helpful and we also know where it can be harmful and so having a little bit of guidance in terms of just staying you know below the threshold of what could be damaging and not just lifting everything heavy but doing things within reason um, I think is kind of the approach we have a question from John who says more than 20 years ago somebody closed the plastic lid of a trash dumpster on my fingers ouch mm. They were all swollen and broken, and I did get some treatment then, but still today I'm having pain in those fingers. Is there any hope for me in terms of healing? That's 20 years ago he had that accident. Wow. Yeah, that sounds painful. So in terms of healing, you know, the healing from an injury happens during the acute process. And it's possible that you may have some sort of secondary injuries or maybe some arthritis that may be causing your symptoms now as a result of that original injury. I would definitely uh, start by seeing a hand specialist. You would might require some x-rays. Uh, sometimes there are options for, we call it occupational therapy, which is basically physical therapy for the hands which can help stretch out and strengthen some of the muscles and ligaments and tendons in the joint um, and help with treatments uh, as well. Um, and sometimes there are other options, including injections and surgeries, depending on what the exact diagnosis is. Yeah, good luck, John. Uh, I myself have arthritis in my middle finger on my right hand. I'm told it's an overuse injury. That's my problem. So that's a different discussion. We'll, we'll talk about that later. Uh, let's go to Geraldine. She's on the line in Elkton. Welcome to the show with Dr. Tanaka. Hello, um, Dr. Tanaka, um, would you please, I have, well, I have terrible scars on my legs from cancer surgery from the knees to the ankles. Could you please shed some light on whether you think Tai Chi would be, that's the ancient uh, Chinese exercise, is beneficial for most people? It is for me. I do it at least a half an hour a day. And I do get some benefits from it. Wow. Well, good for you on wow. that discipline, Geraldine. That's terrific. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I think um, Tai Chi, you know, is a form of exercise that allows you to work on your muscle strength and muscle control. And also it seems to have the mental benefits as well. Um, there are several types of exercise, including Tai Chi, but also yoga um, and some forms of Pilates as well that have the same benefits. And I think it's great. I think anything that you can do to maintain your strength and build on your strength um, while not stressing your joints, uh, like some people might in with running uh, or, uh, you know, kind of more intensive type activities um, is, is a great way to maintain your overall health. Yeah, it's good for balance. It's good for all sorts of things. Yeah, right. that's terrific. Uh, let's go to Maggie, who's on the line in Baltimore. Welcome to the show with Dr. Tanaka. Hi, Dr. Tanaka. I had uh, arthroscopic uh, shoulder surgery when I was 16. I'm now 31. And I was wondering if I need to expect to have surgery again in the future or if there are preventative ways to, uh, to make that happen. Okay. 
Um, oftentimes, you know, this depends on what type of surgery you had when you were younger. Um, typically, people will have surgery for, you know, um, instability or having a shoulder dislocation, but there's multiple reasons there. Um, in terms of the expectations for needing a second surgery, it really does depend on what was performed at that time and for what. Uh, however, probably the number one reason um, or number one way to avoid having a potential surgery, so obviously this can prevent injuries, but it can really minimize the risk of having added injury is uh, keeping up with a good stretching and strengthening program. Uh, for shoulders in particular, we recommend rotator cuff and what we call scapular stabilization. So these are the exercises that you might have seen where people are using the bands uh, and working with their shoulders in different positions to strengthen in all, uh, all sorts of positions. Terrific. Let's see if we can sneak one more call in in our last minute or two here. Robert is calling from Frederick. Always happy to hear from good folks in Frederick. What's on your mind, Robert? Hello, and uh, thank you very much for taking my call. So I've been involved in a, a martial arts club, karate, uh, for about 34 years now. And, you know, you can imagine um, we all kind of experience various hip joint issues, knee joint, uh, ankles, you know, various... Um, what we like to sort of talk about and share is, is are there things like you were talking about preventative things? And one of the things I kept hearing about was fish oils, you know, taking either fish oil pills or, you know, part of your diet, eating fish products. I mean, I don't know if there's any truth to that or whatever. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that for preventative and or diet related things that might be able to help joint issues. Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, one of the reasons why people recommend uh, fish oils is that uh, it does have a slight anti-inflammatory component. Um, and even though we can't really help uh, the sort of wear and tear that happens with usage over time, you know, as we talked about earlier in the show, the uh, the more sort of the tendons and joints are worn down, the more likely they are to have inflammation. And that inflammation is what ends up being symptomatic. So the fish oils are a natural way a natural anti-inflammatory to try to minimize uh, that sort of flare uh, that you may have after these activities in the setting of having some wear and tear of the joints. Dr. Miho Tanaka, she directs the Women's Sports Medicine Program at Mass General up in Boston. She's an associate professor at the Harvard Medical School. She's the chief medical officer for the New England Revolution Pro Soccer Team and a physician for the Boston Red Sox, the Boston Ballet, and a professional Frisbee team, the Boston Glory, and a great buddy of this show. Thank you so much, Miho. It's always great to talk to you and uh, to hear your terrific advice. Thanks. Thanks so much, Tom. And that's it for us today. Coming up tomorrow, I'll speak with Mayor Michael O'Connor, the mayor of Frederick, and Dan Rodericks, who's been a reporter and columnist at the Baltimore Sun for more than four decades. He's also hosted shows on radio and television, including Midday. And he's written two plays that draw on his unparalleled experience covering our community. So Dan Rodericks and Mayor Michael O'Connor of Frederick join me tomorrow here on Midday. Hope you can join us then. Coming up now, it's Here and Now. I'm Tom Hall. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day. This is Baltimore's NPR News Station. Member supported 88.1 WYPR.